Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hej och välkomna till Kvacksnack Sommar för vecka 24 2016. Den här veckan ska vi lyssna på Janna Anstot och Janna är skeptiker och bor i Kenya. Och hon har varit vänlig nog att spela in ett samtal mellan henne själv och föreningen Atheists in Kenya. Ser vi nog alla fram emot att få höra mer av och det kommer här. Varsågoda. Hi and welcome. Karibu sana. To the Kenyan edition of Kvacksnack Sommar which means uh, Kwakshat, summer. And my name is uh, Jana Anstutz. And in this episode, uh, uh, we will be broadcasting from uh, Kenya, where I live and work since three years back. Uh, and I'm a member of the Swedish Humanist and Skeptical Movement. And today we're going to talk about atheism and free thinking in the Kenyan society. And with me here, I have some brilliant people to join me in the discussion, uh, so I'm delighted to welcome uh, Semakula Mochibi, the chairman of FICA, Free Thinkers Initiative in Kenya, and then we have Harrison Mumia, the president from the uh, Atheists in Kenya uh, Association, which is called AIK. Okay, we're glad to have you here, and I'm gonna give some kind of introduction uh, to uh, Kenya uh, for you Swedish listeners. Uh, and I am as ignorant as uh, most informed European people, I think, about African societies. Um, so I want to apologize in beforehand for that. Uh, maybe uh, I'm, I've become better at it after three years here, but but I still know I have periodicities. Um, I want to share some of my first uh, reflections of Kenya when I got here. Um, and I think that in many, many areas of Kenya, they look like I thought that Africa looked like. Uh, uh, it looked poor, we had poor people, it's dirty, and uh, you have bad roads and things like that. Uh, 
uh, and that is a picture that many Western uh, people have of Africa. But then I met people, uh, and that's what I'm amazed about. Which is very stupid because I wouldn't be, I shouldn't be amazed by people because uh, I should have known that people are. Uh, interesting and nice everywhere, but I was surprised by the difference between the society that looked looked like uh, uh, like I thought, and then the, the people who were modern and fun and smart and so on. Um, and maybe the greatest surprise uh, that I found is that the Kenyan uh, people, many, well, of course not uh, all people, but Many uh, Kenyan people have the sense of irony that I share completely, and I think that was what what uh, uh, really got uh, uh, to me. So I've had some really uh, uh, interesting and lovely moments together with with uh, Kenyans. Uh, for example, you are politicians. Um, they be, may be more openly corrupt than the ones that we have, um, but I was a bit surprised that the, uh, although I'm not sure we could call Kenya a, a democracy, might maybe we can discuss that later, but um, I was still surprised that the Kenyan people were so open and so ironic against their politicians. And also your, your uh, media is quite ironic and quite, uh, 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 um, well, you criticize your, your politicians very much, although you can't really be, be sure and secure about that because the the media, um, the rights of the media and the freedom of the media is still a bit shaky. Uh, they want to take it back uh, from the politicians' sides and, and so on. So um, I think I think yeah, uh, you're a modern society with issues. Well, we all have issues in all societies. So, and I think that's that's awesome. So uh, before we start the discussion, I will play a short version uh, of the Kenyan National Anthem. Uh, and it's not because I have uh, uh, become a strangely patriotic uh, person. I'm not, I'm not patriotically uh, Swedish and I'm not going to be a Kenyan one either. Uh, but uh, um, we'll try to listen to the, the lyrics. And here it goes. This is a national anthem, a special dedication. Let us go out and vote and make the Kenya that we want. God bless you. Oh God of creation, bless this our land and nation.
that was a pretty heavy uh, uh, kind of song. Uh, and Kenya is a country where uh, about, I think, 97 to 98% of the population claims that they believe in God, in some God, I think. Yeah. Uh, and they're more likely to say a prayer than deal with problems they have. Uh, so I'll ask you and, and let us discuss what's the biggest challenges with the religious focus in your society. Well, um Obviously, we are uh, a highly religious country and statistics point to us being over 90% uh, religious. And I think this has to do with uh, the history of the country, uh, a lot to do with uh, how we were colonized and also the systems that were left in place by the missionaries and the colonialists because they were so embedded in, uh, in, in, in religion. Um, so you'll find that um, most of the schools are actually church-based. Mm. Uh, the missionaries, when they came and the churches, they, they set up schools and hospitals and they actually sponsored them. So um, even to date, we have so many schools that are named after some of the biblical uh, uh, personalities, like St. Paul and St. Peter's. And, and to add on to that, our education system, of course, from uh, when we got our independence, has been, uh, again, very, very imbued with religious studies. And not just religious studies, they're actually religious instructions. These are, these are teachings about the true God. Not, 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 not an education about the various gods that we have. So uh, th that, uh, of course, coupled with uh, the general understanding in most of uh, the, the, the families in Kenya that uh, good at bringing only results from uh, from exposure to some religious. Uh, yeah, so good, good upbringing is God upbringing. Yeah, so yes. Yeah. Uh, you can you can only if you want your child to grow up with good morals and uh, be a, a, a good person, they grow up. Then they have to learn something about religion. So you'll find most families in Kenya look at morality from that perspective, the morality of the child, what the child needs to learn. They find it very critical that the child understands that there is a God. And so they will spend a lot of time making sure that they either go with the child to church every Sunday or if it's a mosque, they enroll uh, small children to mosques. So that is our society. Uh, but we need to add that the schools nowadays, they are not, they are not uh, um, religious in itself. I mean, it's they're not run by churches. You have you have the, the you have private schools, but you also have, have governmental schools, public schools. Yeah, however, well, one thing you've got to realize that a lot of these government schools were initially started off by church communities and then taken over by the government. Mm -hmm. So in addition, the fact that they are run by the government now, they still carry over the baggage from the period when they were run by the churches, when they were run by the religious communities in those areas. Yeah, so the government have... has started very few schools from scratch. 
most of them have been taken over from organizations that have certain very community based organizations and many churches and religious organizations. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so that might contribute to the yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and again, I went to a, a high school which was a government school uh, in Western Province in Kenya. But uh, it was mandatory for us to attend um, the Sunday service. In fact, there was a roll call for that. And, uh, and I think it, it happens in many, many schools. Uh, the idea that religion is important in our education system is, 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 is a fact. It is seen through how the schools are run, how they make sure that, uh, for example, they have a counselor. Starehe Boys High School have a counselor. Most of these counselors also, counselors also double up as uh, church, church leaders. <laughs> so you'll find the counselor is actually a, a father of some church. Uh, and you see how, uh, how our schooling system is, is structured. Uh, they, they believe that you, you, you need a counselor who also believes, believes in God or is a leader of, of, of a church. So, um, so the challenge here is uh, that uh, it is it is it is almost not acceptable in the Kenyan society to be a person who openly claims not to believe in God. In an article that was done two days ago uh, in response to our registration, uh, one of the writers was arguing that um, we are not ready for the freedoms uh, that the Constitution as enshrined in the Bill of Rights. Uh, he was talking that way, I think, because, uh, you know, his, he, in his words he said, uh, Africans, the DNA of Africans is not ready for some of these things that are happening. Um, so, there are many Kenyans who believe that uh, atheism is, is not part of the Kenyan uh, character. Yeah. So you're not you're not you're not ready to register your association. Uh, 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 you are not ready for that kind of freedom. Yes, they are saying it's not even just us. I think the issue is that the government should not have registered the society because Kenyans are not ready for this kind of uh, uh, things going on. Who knows what can happen? Right. <laughs> Who knows? And you know, even if you look at the reason why we were initially denied registration, because uh, we were denied registration, the reason was that we were a danger to the peace and order of the country. This was written. Mm, that is heavy. Now that tells you that uh, even the government thinks that registering an atheist uh, society is a danger to the order and peace of the country. So I think this is a general, uh, the general thinking of most Kenyans. And that is why our registration has uh, elicited a lot of reaction from the public. But at the, at the personal level, we also have challenges. We have uh, atheists who are not comfortable uh, talking about their, their, their position about God. I just got a, a, a text this morning. The mother of one of uh, our members snatched uh, the phone from uh, from him because oh. he saw some atheist uh, uh, discussions. So he took the phone from this, this this guy. He lives with the parents. So at 
the individual level again I, I see a, a situation where we 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 have been registered but at the individual level because of the nature of our uh, uh, our our society being highly religious it's very difficult for somebody to openly uh, talk about atheism at least from what I'm seeing there, there, there is a bit of stigma associated with either that word or something like that I think this is very very interesting I, I don't think that the that the Swedish uh, people can really understand that situation because um, I almost feel like um, the atheists here have almost the same situation as the LGBTQ uh, uh, society in the rest of the world so coming out is actually an issue for atheists here is that actually it's probably worse than the LGBT because uh, Kenyans don't understand the lack of belief. In the Kenyans, uh, say it's one of two things: either you believe in what we believe in, or you are actively an enemy to what we believe in. To Kenyans, an atheist is a satanist. A satanist. Yes, okay. not. The fact that most that atheists don't believe in certain either does not count. Uh. The fact that you're an atheist essentially means you certainly worship uh, certain, you probably drink babies' blood. And oh, we should have. Blood. We should have brought some infants. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's not. It's not really just an issue of under, of saying being an atheist is bad as such, but being an atheist is the ultimate boogeyman. Mm. Uh, the witchcraft supporter, the night dancer, all these things are considered as well as Alanist. The fact that atheists do not actually believe in most of these things somehow escapes my own. Yeah, no supernatural things at all. Yes. So. But Kenya study does not look at it that way. Uh, most of them what they look at when, when you ask them why don't you like ethics, they will tell you they will spoil our children's uh, morality, they stand for sexual immorality, they are evil. And yet, most of them have never even met any ethics. No, and they don't know if they have because people won't people talk won't, so much. People won't talk about it either. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in a recent show that I went for in one of the mainstream media, they asked me whether we are satanists. This is a, a, a question that came from the, the the moderator of the show. So, you know, it still tells you that... It's a legit question. It's huh? a legit yeah. question, but uh, you get the feeling that you have... Once you say you're an atheist, you're of course dealing, you're starting to deal with the dark <laughs> other issues. As an atheist, you have to first remove yourself from the very many perceptions people have before you come to the atheist position. Mm -hmm. You're still defending yourself against Satanism, you're defending yourself against Freemasons and Illuminati, you know, all the things. So you, 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 you're an atheist, but you're, the, the perception is that you're, you're, you're you're something else. So then, you're we, pure evil. before you even move forward in your atheism, you're already defending yourself against uh, a lot of other things. Yeah. There's a good example. Recently, 
Christ in Kenya was having a, a party to celebrate uh, final registration. It was built in the blogosphere as uh, an orgy. So, so everyone was thinking, ah yes, these guys are going to do some immoralities when they go for this party and celebrate uh, registration. Yet, many organizations do the same kind of thing without... Yeah, they even, they even made a parody of, yes. the, or, mm-hmm. uh, of the poster you had. Yeah. They did. Some, some, somebody who has been my follower on Facebook actually did that. And that uh, that parody actually went viral, just like our 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 poster went viral. That one even went, I think, more viral because it was depicting me as the leader, the prophet of the Satanist movement in Kenya. Mm. And you know that is what was uh, catchy, you know, and that that is what. So it's, this guy was trying to depict us as that, and also to work on the perception of Kenyans to think that. Uh, we are actually satanists and I'm the high priest of the satanist so again we had to we had to issue we issued a press statement to the media to again uh, clarify our position that we are not satanists we are not illuminati and this press statement was read i think at prime time uh, because it was that time when there were a lot of issues about this this party so you can see what atheism is to kenyans it is not atheism, it is totally something else. Yeah, it is. And and I want to add uh, this thing about how Christianity or religion is such a huge part of, of the everyday life in Kenya. And I don't think that we have anything like that in Sweden. For example, when we go to... Uh, a departmental meeting at university where I work uh, they pray before the meeting and I'm like what what are they doing so they are praying to get a good meeting and I was like yeah but maybe it would be a good meeting if you came in time or if you kept your promises or things like that but no we ask God to help us instead you know so I think it's uh, it's so so interesting how the religion comes into every moment actually in in our everyday lives and that it's hard to to keep it away from you in this society well in sweden you can be an atheist and it's not it doesn't have to be a big deal because you don't have to fight every day but here you have to sort of it gets worse actually uh we even Christianize our tragedies. Some three years ago, we had a spate of accidents on uh, the Nairobi Mombasa Highway. The government went out of its way to hire pastors to go and pray at the black spots. Instead of finding what I would have considered more sensible things, like find out why are people dying there, what do we do to prevent people dying in these spots, we hired the pastors to go pray to some God to prevent accidents in this first church. The irony was, I think about almost the next day after this grand prayer parade on the roads, 23 people died in an accident. And nobody ever thought, maybe we actually wasted our money praying. Maybe. Done better by doing something about the blood spots. 
When we, recently when we had a building collapsing in a place called Ruma, calls went out, let us pray for these people. Uh, there are two, there's a major supermarket here which actually set up a collection for this. And it was hardly taken up, it was never in the news, nobody knew about it, but the collection boxes were almost empty. But everybody in Kenya was on a prayer chain for the same victims. Well, I thought it would have been more sensible to give them blankets for uh, some way of getting over the strategy than simply praying. So why is this? I mean, what what do the Kenyan people need the, the prayers for? I mean, can it be that, uh, uh, well, people people are poor, so uh, you don't have any money to, to spend, so this is the last resort, or what, what, what is it about? Part of the problem, I think, is also our educational system. Our educational system does not teach us to try and find out things. From standard one, which is really about six years of age, we are taught, go to class, sit down, listen to what the teachers say, and then in standard age, repeat what the teacher said over the last eight years, and you get good marks. We go down to form one, form four, the same story happens. So a lot of the people wait to be told what the solution is, then try to find out anything about the solution. Hmm. So if something happens to me, I wait for some authority to figure to tell me this is why it is happening. So if the authority figure happens to be a pastor, the comes says, God is unique in your family, this is why you're having these problems, that's the solution I take, and whatever he comes up with is what I've got. We, are not, we do not even critically think about what our problems are. Hmm. Mental illness for so many years has been considered a sign of, of uh, possession by evil spirits. Even something as simple as epilepsy, which information is another place, was simply was taken more as uh, evil spirits which need to be appeased in some way. In fact, there is a society in Rift uh, Valley which believe that if you find a woman in uh, an epileptic fit, you go to have sex with her so that the evil spirit can get out of her. Oh, that's convenient. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, all this, all this, on the side of, both on the traditional side and on our modern educational side, they do not encourage our people to even find out about anything. They encourage our people to wait for authorities. In fact, the common, most common phrase every time we have a problem in Kenya is Sirikal's idea, which basically means government help. We're not even taught to help ourselves. It's like everything, wait for authority. Whether authority is God, the pastor, the government, it's not from you, it's from up, down to you. Mm. So it affects almost everything we do. Yeah. We are not willing to look for solutions. We are very willing to wait and see solutions come down to us. But I think this is very uh, interesting because you have uh, you have a history of, of just 50 years of independence. As Kenya. As Kenya, yes. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of criticism against the um, the colonialists, but there are no criticism against the religion that they actually uh, brought here. 
So how is that? I mean, I hear I I hear bad stuff. I I walk as a white person on these streets. I I hear bad stuff. Uh, but but the religion, that's just we just. I think what happened is, uh, you know, we, we, uh, Africans have we've been a religious we've been religious communities. We've had religion in in, in Africa even before the colonialists. And that is where some of these uh, narratives of, uh, there's so many books, a lot of literature about uh, some of the tribes and what they believed in. People have written books about some of the beliefs they had. Like the Kikuyu community had their own uh, god, which, which, which uh, there was a narrative about uh, nine, nine daughters and so on and so forth. So, even in Luya, we have our own story. In Luo, we have narratives about various gods. But I think what happened is that when when the missionaries came, they, of course, brought their religion to, to Kenya. And uh, what we did, we just replaced yeah. our traditional religion with the new one. It fitted well. And, and probably, <laughs> yeah, you know, you could see that. Well, but I think they replaced. I would say the complete way of life was demolished to make way for a new life, and a vacuum was created. It was filled very nicely by by, by the new religion, without completely because, like, if you look places like uh, India, where they was attempt again to do the same kind of thing, the culture was so built into the thing that it was not as easy to erase it completely and replace the new Here, because of the various different multicultures and stuff, it was a lot easier to divide us, uh, uh, suppress your thing, replace the new one, divide the next and create kind of Kenyan homogeneous culture, which really was foreign yet somehow more uniting than the previous cultures. Really. So, so why Kenyans don't have a problem is that it, it, it has formed, it came and formed part of, you know, it replaced their traditional religion, but then it also formed part of their daily lives. It, it, it formed part of how they conduct burials. They used to do it differently, but then that gap was still filled by the new religion. Uh, how, you, uh, uh, how you do what we call uh, passage of rites when you're marrying. We used to do it differently. But now religion has. Uh, but but that's not that's not fully true because I think um, um, uh, I'm amazed by the I don't know the schizophrenic kind of society you are because you you have all the, those things. I mean, everywhere on the street you can still uh, get uh, the numbers for a medicine man that can help you well uh, with your your uh, erectional problems or finding uh, love or finding things that you've lost or what what have you. And then you have the the uh, traditional uh, the traditional religion, and you have you people, uh, free thinkers and, and atheists too, and, and everything mixes uh, in the society. So, so it's not like it's just one thing. It's not one thing. I think we're looking at the why we call ourselves uh, maybe ninety percent religious. Why, if you ask any average Kenyan today, 
they are, they are believers in, in a God. And the God they believe in is most likely the biblical God or the, or the Muslim God. But of course we have other situations of course where people resort to, there are some subcultures which are still with us, people resort to witchcrafts. We know for example the Kamba people are, are known for witchcraft, I know people who believe in that. And uh, we also know, uh, I know people who also get to solve their uh, problems through going to see some of these uh, uh, so-called uh, healers, mm. uh, but traditional healers. And they are very popular in your soap operas too. They are also <laughs> That's where they go to solve things. So we cannot ignore the idea that religion has gotten to that point in this country where it is running the affairs of most Kenyans. It is, it is part and parcel of what you know, Kenyans do. I mean, even in, 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 uh, in Central Bank, if where you work, where I work, yeah. um, if you are to call people to, uh, somebody to come and talk about an issue, sometimes you find they prefer calling a, a religious person to advise on family issues and so on and so forth. They won't call a family expert or a counselor. They may decide, you know, and these are people who are making decisions in the office. Hmm. Um, so that is why I, I think we are... So Christianity is a bit better, much more important in the society. Yeah, actually, if we look at something that really should not be a, a religious issue, uh, if a student is applying for, uh, in Kenya we have what is called the uh, Higher Education Loan Board, which is given to... Yeah, so the study, study loans. Mm. So, one of the requirements when you're filling in those forms is that they must be endorsed by a religious leader, yeah. either a pastor or an imam. Okay. The presumption is that as long as you're a Kenyan, uh, the only person who can vote that you are truly who you are is a pastor or an imam. It's the same uh, if you want to adopt a child yes. from Kenya. Uh, you have to have uh, uh, papers religion. from your church. Yes. So it's almost like even where religion really should not play a part, it has somehow managed to get its fingers into it. So if a child from a non-religious family wanted to be, to apply for that loan, they are going to have to either bribe a pastor or fail simply because they cannot get those sections filled. And yet those sections are mandatory in the forms. Mm -hmm. And they don't give you an option of saying, put maybe the nearest uh, counselor or maybe... Right? They don't even give you that option. Or you're an old boss or something. Mm. Yeah. Someone who can vote for you. So if let's 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 leave um, religion behind here a little because because uh, um, we talked about the educational system here that that might be a solution to 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 the problem or if we get more educated maybe religion wouldn't uh, have such a, a great part of our lives. Um, so I have a lot of opinions about the Kenyan schools because I have to handle the students when they come to the university and I think there are a lot of things that they're lacking when it comes to the free thinking area. Um, 
and I think that Kenyan schools are pretty authoritative and uh, um, the stu students are, for example, uh, they are uh, frequently beaten up. Uh, although I know you have a law against this, you're not allowed to do that, but still my four-year-old daughter comes home and uh, she's been caned by her uh, teacher for uh, doing something. Um, and you're supposed also to focus on remembering things in the Kenyan schools. You're not supposed to critically uh, be uh, looking at uh, knowledge and uh, see uh, what the different kind of, of opinions you could have and what the different kind of perspectives you can take uh, on uh, different topics. So I think that that will do something to the people that goes to those schools. So, what do you have to say about that? We can go for years on the school system. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there's the authoritative problem does exist, but the problem is also, it's not much as the law tends to have tried to address some of these brutal uh, behaviors in school. The problem is that they are also supported by the guardians and parents of these children. Uh, corporal punishment is illegal in Kenyan schools. Uh, not, there's not even an option about that. It's completely illegal. And even in homes, I think. And uh, but could no, be said to be illegal in homes. Yeah. However, if a teacher punishes a child, in our schools, the parents support that kind of punishment. So it's rather hard to eradicate because the parents will never, they will never report it to the authorities unless something major happens, like maybe the child is grievously wounded. They, when asked, they will say, we were beaten in our lives and we turned out well, so I don't see why my child cannot also be beaten. I think I even read in the paper that there were parents that complained that a school didn't give punishment. Yes, it also does happen that parents do complain that teachers are not strict enough yeah. on the children. The attitude we have is that the only way you will learn is by being beaten into you, forced into you. If it's not done, you will not learn. So. Parents in the quest to have a good life for their children, to get good grades for their children, will encourage the teachers to meet out corporal punishment so that their children can perform better and get better jobs, better lives. But the problem that I see with that, when the students then come to university and I ask them questions, they don't answer. Because if you don't know the right answer, you can be punished. Yes. So instead, you shut up. Uh, and we've also had that problem when I've done research in Kenya. Uh, and it's a very big difference between, between when I um, do research on children in Sweden. If you ask children in Sweden a lot of questions, they will make a lot of errors. Uh, but this, the Kenyan children, they look, actually they look better in the research because they rarely have any errors. Because when they don't know, they don't say anything. And what about that? What does that do to, to, the, um, to people and to the educational system?
what, what, I, what I can say is, uh, even looking at my own, because I went through the education system, and I was also beaten by my dad many times. And uh, when I was doing it, I don't know whether. <laughs> yeah, did it turn out well? I don't know. I don't know whether because I'm still fighting the concept of being a satanist, so I, I think I'm still. Uh, but I turned out well to the extent that uh, I'm able to, you know, take care of my affairs. I'm, I'm, I'm able to work. I'm not into any drugs. But the thing is, as I was growing up, I saw a tendency for perfection. And for achieving, uh, there was no room to fail. Failure was not acceptable. In the schooling system, right from the time you're in standard one, you're supposed to be number one. Everybody's supposed to be number one, by the way. Yeah, because you have uh, you have a system where you where you actually uh, count where in one. the. In, in in the class you are, yeah, in the so class, it, are you the first after one? After the exams, is number one, two, three. Mm. And when you get the report form, you take your parents. If you're number thirty-six, you have to try and be number one. Yeah. Then the number one is exalted. He's the one who is. You know, he he's everything. Now, of course, the other students also feel like, okay, now me and nothing is because I could not, you know, pass the exams. So throughout the primary schooling system. The idea that we are we are making our children believe that being number one is the most important thing, and when you're not number one or number two, even in the during the awards during the awards of uh, of uh, what we call in most of these schools we have awards they give awards for performance. Huh? You find they are just giving awards for number the number one and the number two. And you see, they look at the most improved. So if you are number sixteen and you move to number, at least uh, at least they have that. Yeah, there's a most. If you move, if you move, there's a most many. improved. But still, improvement here is still in terms of the numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, My daughter is number forty-nine out of fifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you see, then what we are now missing out is you have children in Kenya who are thinking that is the most important thing. So they don't build on the talents, they don't build on the other cognitive elements, they don't give these other students a chance to explore things like sports and acting and the arts. Yeah, because you actually and took those, those uh, uh, so topics away yes. in many schools. Mm. Mm. And, and the focus here, again, look at our schooling system, you know, before I think this issue of you have to go to a national school, what do you need to do to go to a national school? You need to have a minimum of this mark. So the parents of the children who've gone to Alliance and um, you know these other schools are feeling like now that the, the ones who reach. And of course, the children who don't manage to go to, to these uh, so-called elites, national schools, uh, of course feel like uh, they didn't even meet uh, or satisfy their parents or meet the expectations of their parents. So we have an education system here that has one focus, that the child has to be uh, uh, to perform well in class and that is the only time he's seen us. But but that kind of system we have all over the world. You're supposed to do well in school but the the 
the issue here is what is it that you should do well in school? That's the issue. That's the issue. That's the issue. Actually, it's not the problem just that you're supposed to do well in school. In our school system, it is not an issue of how well have you learned. And your, your particular grade, your particular position in class doesn't even demonstrate how well you've learned, but rather how well you've managed to return back what the teacher has taught you. To the point that it has actually made it profitable to cheat in exams by finding out what were the questions. And it's, a, it's a big business here also. That's, it's, it's hard to find real books in bookstores, but you can always find uh, the, yes, the papers from, from last years in, in, in books. So the focus is on passing the exams, not on learning. No. In fact, we're not interested in whether you learned at all, but whether you passed your exams. So you have a situation right from the beginning, it is whoever reaches the point of passing the exam. So if by any chance you happen to be sick during the exam period, so you're weak, you didn't think well, you fail, you are a failure. In spite of the fact that you might actually be the best person in those subjects over the whole school. Yeah. But because you failed to pass this one exam, you're a failure. Uh, there is no idea that there are other things you could possibly be doing other than passing exams, not even learning exams. So you find a child who will, in Form 4, can recite every single president uh, Africa has had and has no idea of how any of these uh, various tests in Africa happened. You will find a child who will probably be able to sing for you the whole uh, mathematical tables, but does it have an idea of the first principles behind uh, behind uh, algebra? Yes, a lot, a lot uh, of uh, the work in schools are to uh, remembering things. Um, I have an example from my older daughter that she's eleven, and uh, she came home. Like one week, she came home with the the um, homework uh, about an orange floats in water, and then she was supposed to uh, remember that. And then next week, she got a stone sinks in water, and she was supposed to remember that. Instead of the teacher actually talking to the uh, pupils and actually uh, letting them try out what is it that floats in water? What principle is it behind this? Because if you know the principle, you would be able to uh, answer any questions. But here you try to remember exact wordings of the questions and if we change that wordings, uh-oh, that's a big problem to understand what to answer. To take it further, if like your daughter, she's taught orange floats in water, stone floats in water. When you come to the final exam, they'll only ask about orange or stone. Yes. They'll never ask about something else that could also maybe float in water. Like maybe to see know, if they actually learned the, yeah. and to they generalize. They about orange and stone, period. Nobody would even think beyond that. So even when we are studying in school, the teacher looks at what is going to be asked in the exam. Let's study that. Anything that is not in that section, nobody is going to bother about it. When 
we look at past papers, what kind of questions do they ask? These are the topics they ask. These are the answers they require. Yeah, because uh, your exams, they don't come from the teacher themselves. It comes nationally. Mm. Yeah. You see, our education system also, um, you know, it is based on remembering things without realizing that just four years of doing Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Something and remembering that does not make you an expert. Uh, an expert in that area. So we are not critical thinkers. But the other thing which I'm seeing here is uh, generally as a country, the infrastructure, the, the, the attention we give to other things. Look at the number of uh, sports people that come from countries like the US, China, um, and even Britain. You, you see they're like in almost each sport. That tells you that the structures we have in Kenya do not promote... You know, we, we would expect that uh, after primary school, if you identify a child with a certain uh, talent, he would channel that talent in a certain direction. And the parents should not be worried about it because the structures are there. He would still go to school, but the focus would be to build you know, talent. We would expect that uh, after Form 4, you would have enough training centers where he can uh, train and have a body that makes, makes sure that they have a pool of people from schools to uh, take part in certain sports. And there are so many sports. So I look at uh, the country and I think we have a bigger problem than just the schools. I think as a country, we don't have... Look at how many uh, sports centers we have in this country. Even uh, just good, good uh, football uh, grounds. I think we only have three main, main ones. Mm. There's the Saraninia Stadium and uh, maybe City Stadium. It's a huge country, yeah. And it's a huge country. In a country which is even smaller like England, because England is not bigger than Kenya, how many stadiums do we have? These sports centers. Like, but it's not, yeah, it's not only sports, I think. I mean, um, and this surprised me when I came, and this is also my periodicies about, about Africa overall. What about culture? Music, uh, concerts, yeah. uh, yeah. theater, performances. No, but you can understand the culture issue. Africans lost their culture. It was forced out of them. And it was demonized. Uh, when I was young, I remember you couldn't dance in church. Because mm. that was 
only devils, demons will make you dance. Church was supposed to be somber. Much of, and yet African customs among my people were almost always celebrated by dance. Almost everything, whether it was birth, death, marriage, was celebrated by dance. Yeah. And dance was demonized as a thing of the devil and killed off. So you're looking at the culture, people who have grown up trying to import a colonial sense of, <coughs> of culture which really hasn't grown into them and yet being denied and being taught that what you feel is more natural to your opposition is not correct. It's changing slowly. Not, not, not fast enough. It's changing slowly. But you're changing several generations to let. We have already lost a lot of what we had. Yeah, but you time. but you build that into the schools too. You take away the the fine art. You take away the music. Yes, you take if away. If you had the fine arts, you going to, if you had the music, if you had the dancing, you're going to indoctrinate your kids into the devil's works and you want the devil to get into our kids. Oh. So you want them to appreciate the violin. There's a kid who's never seen a violin. But, but is that is that even so? I mean, do the I mean, you don't have those no, kind of concerts have, either. We don't have those kind of concerts because you are trying to import something that could literally not take place because you don't have the infrastructure to even support the instruments that mm. are doing this. So you're telling them appreciate the violin, but the violin is some theoretical something somewhere which a kid will never see, will never hear, will never play because to hear it you need to have phonographs and stuff around the villages which don't happen. So you tell them the most beautiful music is the music of the valley and the kid asks how is the valley. They see a picture of the valley. They never hear this. But why is this in Kenya? Because I mean this is not true for all uh, African countries. Yes. For example uh, in West Africa they have a lot more of the traditional uh, dance and uh, especially drums uh, that they do a lot. Uh, but here It in sort Kenya, of died. In Kenya, most of the culture was literally killed. Mm. Unlike many other African countries, like if you cross, you're not do, if you just cross over to Uganda, a lot of the cultural systems were left in place and were used to aid the colonists in, uh, in uh, managing most of Uganda. However, in Kenya, they were literally ridden roughshod off. We have even tribes which exist practically in them because almost everything that made them what they were no longer exists uh, including an up to language the suva is a good example the people who were forcefully absorbed into the uh, luos they actually a bantu tribe which was involved into a narrative culture and the cultures of the white towns because actually according to their history one of their elders Uh, opposed the white rule. So the quickest way of getting them to be destroyed is merge them in another culture, kill their culture. They, they are now trying to raise up this, but much of this is lost because you're looking three generations down the range, there may be two or three people who still speak the language well, there may be one or two people who actually know the culture. So most of, in Kenya it was more of suppress and destroy a culture than rule the people. Whereas in Uganda, in West Africa, they tended to use the cultures that were in place to take over Ireland. Yeah, I think when I was growing up again, uh, I saw a tendency towards 
even language, you, 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 you're seen as a, a more elite kind of person if you're able to speak English well. Um, things like mother tongue, you know, even in the households, you find you are not encouraged. Right from the time you're young, there is a tendency of trying to make you adapt to uh, what I call uh, Western culture. So, right from the language to the dressing, and you know now again there was a media agenda, which has uh, had a lot of influence on the general Kenyan culture. Because the media, uh, from the time you know you're young, you're exposed to the music, which is not necessarily Kenyan. I mean, it's, it's, it's rap music from the West, and it is being played you know, in, the, in the matatus and everywhere. So as you're growing up in this country, there is no effort being made to make you appreciate the, the Kenyan culture, traditional culture. You're growing up being made to believe that the more you, the more westernized you are, the better kind of person you are. But do we, do we actually um, need the traditional culture? Now I'm, I'm being a bad, bad guy here. But I mean, uh, do we actually want people, uh, uh, I mean, do we only want the kind of uh, uh, culture where we are half naked dancing around the pole? Uh, and it's the same in Sweden. I mean, I, I don't think that I would see culture as something static. We want things to, to evolve. We don't want to, to only stay in the old things. We, of course we need to, to, to carry that with us too, but we also need influences. We also need to, to, to evolve. So uh, to get influences are not just bad, is it? Yes, only in our with you, cultures need to evolve. But cultures need to evolve in, in a manner which actually builds the societies they are evolving from. Uh, what we are doing now is evolving a culture that is not even suited to our way of life in, in, most, in, in many manners. Instead of having a hybrid where we pulled out elements from this culture that we could use, elements from our cultures that what we have done is completely destroy what was working, replace it with something that was actually coming from a completely different paradigm set, and now try and say, this is ours. And then because in order to destroy it, we had to suppress thinking about what might be good in other cultures, we now even got into the habit of suppressing thinking about that something can change in the culture that we have adopted. So we, we've tended to stick in uh, the culture of the 1800s mm. and we've called it African culture uh, because I've got into the habit of saying what is African cannot be changed because this is good, change is bad. Mm. But we, I mean, we can, we can uh, take some examples of culture that we might not want and uh, 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 those might be things like uh, um, the uh, female uh, mutilation, for example, genital mutilation. Uh, we have you. You actually have uh, polygamy, polygamy here. 
Yes, and it's, and it's in the law. Uh, oh, you so have the male ones too? Yes. I mean, those are practices that, that we might not want to keep on doing. We have traditions, we have, we have culture that, that we want to evolve, huh? Yes or no? There are cultures that result, there are things that are resulting in a loss of dignity of the person or loss of choice of the person. In fact, the problem I have with most of uh, things like marriage genital mutilation and the female genital mutilation is not per se that it is done, but that the people it is done on do not have a say on whether or not to choose. I really don't care if somebody would wake up today as long as an adult and know what you and decide I don't like my ears, let me cut it off and be ears. Yeah, but, but that's adults. Really, but this is done yes, to But this to is children. done to people who have not registered you they even know the effects of what they are doing. They don't know the, they do not even have an opportunity to actually consent to these acts happening on them. Yeah. Right? Um, so the other thing, yes and no, there are certain practices that could be considered wrong to me and maybe considered right to others. But however, these practices should have an element of consent from the people whom it is being done upon. So if a lady at the age of 19-20 decides I want uh, my female parts mutilated, there are, she has a right to do what she feels like with them. If a man at those ages decides the same kind of thing, it is his. But when you take these practices and apply them to a child of the age of 9, 10, as young as 6 months, who do not even have the ability to comprehend what is being done to them, then I think that is wrong. On a cultural view, as long as the culture insists on that. However, there are certain things which were not native to us and we carry them on because, well, uh, they are now the right thing. For example, right now in Kenya, it's, when you walk into an office, smart is dressing in a suit with a rope around your neck, just uh, coat stuff. In a place like Mombasa where you get temperatures in the 40s, Yep. Dressing that way is actually dangerous for you. Yeah. But if you want to go for a sensible government meeting, that is how you should dress. Yeah, but you actually do it better than we do in the Western yeah. world. So yeah. <laughs> everyone looks very smart here. So yeah. then there are a lot of small things that we do, which we are doing because they were useful maybe when when they were imported to us. The very people who gave them to us have abandoned them, and we are maintaining them as now our. African identity. Hmm. Right. So culture is as it is a yes and no situation. There are things that look bad which we could still maintain if we can maintain them in a paradigm that allows us to have a choice from them. Because really what may be bad to me may not necessarily be as bad to somebody else. Uh, in the sense that for example the people who pierce their ears and put in uh, earrings. The people who pierce their ears and put them in literary laws so they can put in stuff. Now, some people will say one is ugly, the other is peaceful. Other people look at it the other way. Other people say piercing ears and tears is bad. Now, I don't think I should say a culture that pierces ears should be done away with because piercing ears is bad. But a culture that forces children to pierce ears should be done away with. Mm -hmm. 
I think let me just add to that and say that um, we, are, we are making a lot of progress in the world with regard to human rights. And uh, we all appreciate the importance of human rights globally. And that's why we have the United Nations. And that is why we nations are expected to uphold certain minimums with regard to human rights. And I think when it comes to some bad, uh, so-called bad cultures, sometimes you find they border on uh, fundamental rights of the individual. And I think that is where I think we should have a demarcation. But in terms of language, for example, and this was my argument, that you'll find in families people want to be identified as speaking English from the parents to the child. That is how they want to even look to their friends. I need to add something here because I don't think that the Swedish audience know about the, the language situation in Kenya. So the thing is that you have two official languages. You have English and then you have Kiswahili. Yes. But then you have this that you call the mother tongue. And those are the, the, the indigenous uh, um, languages uh, that you used to have. And those are many, those like are many. almost uh, four, between 40 and 60 uh, languages. But you don't teach these in schools. And I, I, as a linguist, I thought this was so strange because in Sweden, for example, we even teach our uh, the refugees that comes. They actually have the right to be taught uh, just like one hour per week or something in their language so they actually can can uh, progress in their own language but here you have a country where you you don't even teach your people your their own uh, exactly and you see you know we have as i was saying we are losing out on areas like language and the, the literature around our tribes is also being lost because the education system doesn't recognize, but we need to preserve at least uh, an aspect of culture, like language. Very, very important. I'm a lawyer myself, and uh, I, I, I don't even know how to speak Luya very well. But it's because I, I grew up, and uh, again, my family was insisting that uh, I need to learn English, you taught, taught, even your parent taught you in English so that you, you will get the hang of it. At school, at, at the school we are not taught any indigenous language. But I think there's another aspect. We have 47 tribes. I think in Sweden, I don't know that you have so many Swedish sub-tribes. So that means it is much easier because of the homogeneity of the... Yes, but the refugees are many, and they, those uh, languages are, uh, are many. Uh, and those are not even even languages that, that belongs in Sweden, like, traditionally. Uh, so, but here we have languages that belongs traditionally in the country, and I guess that it's a political choice that you want to keep the people together. You don't want to encourage that people keep to the tribes and, and mm. things like that. That's why it's done. Or no, partly no? is that uh, the initial reasons for 
person in traditional uh, languages and cultures was to suppress possible sources of resistance. Yeah, 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 of to, course, of course. To control. Yes, but that's traditional. When, when uh, the colonists went and the new leaders came in, they found it was easier for them to maintain some form of governance and control over the people. Again, if they have some uh, common um, means of communication. So what they did instead of uh, saying that let's speak English, they introduced Swahili as an alternate uh, unifying factor. But you're looking at a nation that is artificial in the sense that it is not actually built amongst according to the people who are in that nation, but according to some arbitrary decisions that were made completely outside people who had any idea of what is on the ground. You actually have borders where uh, families are separated by a border. Finally, you have a Ugandan on one side, the Kenyan on the other side. They speak the same language, same tradition, same parents or great parents, and yet they are different nationalities. In fact, uh, Kenya is unique in that at one point in our elections we had uh, somebody up vying for presidency in Uganda who was the brother of the vice president, of the Kenyan vice president. Mm. And they all happened that they were separated by an artificial border or a thing. So when you're dealing with an artificial entity like that, you tend to need to force them into some kind of conformity. So we have English and Kiswahili to try and unify us. The Swahili is more of the unifying factor, the English is more of the communication factor. However, I am not one of those who say that we need to necessarily keep languages because we ever have them. I happen to belong legally to about three different uh, ethnic groups. My father and my mother had no language in common except English. Hmm. My, if I look at my grandfathers, my grandfathers on three sides, my, three of my grandfathers spoke three different. My grandfather spoke three different languages. Now my child's uh, great grandparents, on the other hand, speak five different languages. If I'm going to tell my child, let's take you back to your roots. What roots? What roots would I have? Hmm. Why should I decide that this particular branch of the roots should be forgotten while he learns this other one? Or any of them at all? I think, yes, it is useful for us to learn about our heritage. But I don't think our heritage at the moment is what makes us. We have become Kenyans, like it or not, artificial or not. And we need to start living as Kenyans rather than as our individual uh, ethnic groups. Yeah, and this is this from the Swedish perspective. This is very uh, fascinating because here you have uh, it's your own country, it's your own members of the country, uh, and you need to integrate. And that's that's quite special for being a, a country, I would say, uh, because otherwise you see you see uh, people from the outside as people that should be integrated. But here you actually have to work on integrating your own people. Yeah, you know, um, even if you look at our politics, our politics is 
is is uh, driven by a lot of so-called tribalism, where the, there is a feeling that you have to get your person to become the president. For you to do that, you have to bring together this number of people to vote for you from this tribe. In fact, the politicians, what they just do is look at the tribal arithmetic to, to, to look at how to to win the elections. Mm, yeah, and this is a this is a very huge area. It's probably the the one that is uh, the most Kenyan issue I I know uh, uh, about this this tribal thing. Let's not go there, I would say. <laughs> uh, okay, we have a few other uh, issues le left, and you were starting the things uh, about um, human rights. Um, and um, I was thinking about um, about homosexuality. Um, and because uh, from the Swedish perspective, um, we um, think it's terrible that you have a law against uh, homosexuality here. Uh, but then I try to explain to Swedish people that, well, that you have a law against it doesn't really always mean that it's, uh, it's not done and that it, well, it is forbidden, but people do it anyway. And I think this is also a, a, a fascinating uh, Kenyan thing that you have laws, you have laws against a lot of things, you have a fantastic, um, uh, what is it called, this constitution that is maybe one of the most liberal constitutions in the world, uh, but, but um, it actually doesn't really mean anything. Uh, people, it's, it's uh, uh, forbidden to be homosexual, but uh, I know uh, uh, quite some people that are very open with their homosexuality and they are not in prison. Uh, you uh, drive against re red light uh, and uh, that's not a problem. You can even have a police uh, uh, showing you the way uh, uh, by, the, by the traffic lights. Um, you can bribe uh, a policeman and you don't get, get a fine for that. I mean, you, you have a very interesting way of looking upon law. <laughs> first, let's first correct something. Mm, do so. In Kenya it is not illegal to be homosexual. Nope. No? You can be homosexual all you want. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is illegal in Kenya is having sex in a natural manner. Yeah, an unnatural manner. Yes. yes. Now, since it is not defined in law, it means that if you are taken to court for that purpose, all somebody needs to demonstrate is that this particular version of sex is not common in our section of uh, population and it becomes dead. Because initially, which also means that you can literally be jailed for having a blood. Yeah. Because all you need to say show is that having a blowjob is unnatural and... Uh, I think they actually say sodomy, but sodomy no, is... No, sodomy was removed from the statutes. Okay. It's now, now it's plain pure having sex in an unnatural Okay. And I think this is, this is uh, something that I appreciate uh, about the 
uh, atheist movement and the freethinkers movement in Kenya that I think that the issues that you talk about are in many cases about human rights uh, in a much higher degree than, than, than we are doing in uh, the Western world. I think we try to, to work for that too, uh, at least in the humanist uh, uh, movement, but um, I think it's, it's even more important here. You, you share uh, you share is issues with many other groups, like the, the homosexuals, the you with the uh, with women, uh, with uh, um, yeah, with with different uh, uh, groups that also uh, want to share the rights in society. And, uh, Actually, yeah. Let me just also mention about um, there was a bill which was in Parliament last week about the women. Uh, the gender rights. I think this bill was defeated, mm-hmm. but uh, they they called me the organizers of the ones who were supporting the bill because the bill was supposed to ensure that um, the, the the gender the gender issues uh, at least in Parliament and Senate. I'm not looking at the bill, but uh, they were attempting to have it mandatory that it should be in line with the constitution. The constitution says that from both appointive and elective positions you need at least one third of each gender. So, yeah, so you're not yeah, you're not allowed to have a political party if you don't have one third members. You you don't you well you have the right to have the party but you don't get uh, the money from the state to support that party. Yeah, that could be one thing. However, yes, the flaw there is also that we only consider two genders, which is something we still need to look at also. Yeah. Yeah, of course, in the Kenyan context, <laughs> when we talk of gender, it's a male and female. There are only two genders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, we, we, we have. analyzes another group. So, yes. Uh, but in terms of progressiveness of what the constitution expects, it's just to try and bring a sense of. Uh, equality in the appointments because we know in this country that women are actually marginalized. I was called and I was supposed to participate in the demonstrations and I was willing to do that but um, of course I was working and the other issues I was grappling with is what would happen if the governor of the central bank saw me carrying placards. The, oh, so you're afraid yeah. of uh, of being on on the women's side, but uh, not on the on the Satan <laughs> side. <laughs> well, you know, you have to manage a lot of things, especially yeah. if you're an employee of a government institution. Uh, remember, still within the institution where I work, we have Christians. It's actually many Christians, and some of them are my bosses. Some of them are uh, in key positions. They could easily. Try and uh, raise So it's the demonstration part that would be a problem for her. Yes, I was we're in support of that bill. We were yeah. in support, I was in support of that bill. And I was also rallying members to, I wanted to rally members to look at the bill and uh, understand what it's trying to do. However, that was a week when I think we also had many other issues to deal with. No, no, no. I'm in the private industry, so in theory I should have a bit more. Leeway. However, sometime uh, last year, 
We had a demonstration because of the whole heap of people who were undressing women in the streets of Nairobi, so I got involved in a demonstration against this practice. And uh, there was quite some interesting backlash from the office about what I'm doing, you know, to demonstrate. Am I a woman? Why am I bothered about this? Why even do I am supporting people being immoral? Uh, even among, not just government, even among private thing, nobody has realized that the issue of human rights is an issue that affects every single person, not just the people who are directly being uh, suffering from it. Yeah. They don't seem to realize that if one person suffers, the other people will suffer indirectly because of uh, this one person. So many of them feel that should not concern them. And if it concerns them, perhaps you shouldn't be working here because I mean, we're wasting our time by going to fight for women's rights and you're not a woman. Mm-hmm. So why should you be fighting for women's rights? But you sit at our desk and do our work. You know, even a, not just in the government, even in the private, it's not exactly as clear as saying, let me follow my conscience and go out. And because of the lack of uh, fallback, backup, uh, fallback situations, this is a country where you may consider yourself middle class and relatively well off, but losing your job is not just a matter of waiting three, six, eight months so that you can get another job. Lose your job sometimes literally a complete drop from way up there to starvation level. Yeah. Because most people do not have any backup, they don't have anything that if you lose this job there's literally no way they can live. So sometimes the balance also stops being a matter of I would like to do this but then so if I do this I lose my job. How will I even survive? How will I get the next minute? Because most people live, even among the middle class, a lot of people live literally meal to meal. Yeah, and so that's, that might actually make you shut up in yes. the important, important mm-hmm. questions. But it's interesting how the ethics in Kenya, you know, um, as, as the person who was the face during the registration and so on, how, you know, I had to overcome that fear even for me to have my story to be in the mainstream newspaper and even for me to allow myself to be on TV and for my workers and my family to see me. So I think it will take um, the efforts of very brave Kenyans to, to move some of this agenda forward. I think the middle class needs to... By the way, now that, you know, we talk of our constitution as being progressive, there's nobody who can sack you on the basis that you participated in a, in picketing or in a demonstration. In theory. Uh, uh, of course, somebody can attempt to sack you. <laughs> or make your uh, and, life And somebody hard. can make your life difficult. Yes. But the moment you realize that, uh, and I know sometimes you just don't want to be, your, your normal life to be disrupted by those kind of things. You know, you can be transferred, you can be... So many things can happen within the organization. But under the law, you're not, uh, you can take leave from work to go and demonstrate. That's a fundamental freedom, by the way, the Kenyan laws. That's actually why uh, I think the problem is that people don't appreciate what constitution 
what kind of constitution you have. But I, but I still think that that um, everything here in the Kenyan situation is um, much more serious than uh, in the Swedish uh, context. I mean, in the in the skeptical movement in Sweden, we uh, have pub. Uh, pub evenings and we uh, uh, go all philosophical uh, about um, important um, issues in life and science and things like that but here sometimes I, I feel that it's much more serious issues for example you have a lot of of female um, members in your your associations, much more than I would think that we have in, in uh, Sweden. And one thing with that is that I think that the the, the Christian society here uh, is actually repressing uh, uh, women. So uh, to be an atheist is. Uh, actually to try to shake all that off and it's a much more serious issue than just wanting to discuss uh, um, uh, philosophical issues like for for example when I tell people well I usually don't uh, force this atheism thing on people here because I'm not only an atheist and a satanist I'm also white which is all kind of evil here so uh, so I, I try not to force it on people but sometimes I feel like I, I have to because I, I can't if people try to hit on me and the second question they say is where do you worship and they really want to get into your pants. I just want to tell you, tell them that, well, uh, that question really didn't do it for me. Um, uh, but when I say that I'm an atheist, they will actually try harder because they know that, oh, you're immoral, so then it will be, be easier. For a lot of these people, uh, atheism in Kenya tends to be lonely younger generation. People like me are probably one of a few exceptions in this. But it tends to be among the younger generation. You're looking at 18 to 30. Most of them are still dependent in a large manner on the family, even if not directly, but indirectly, is the way they're viewed by society, their connections, their jobs. Family, community pays a lot. And simply saying that I mean, it is almost many times scissors these uh, links and for some people it's literally devastating because if you're thrown out of a home your community is in sometimes the job you're working in you've got it you can't don't get jobs they're married you tend to get it because of who do you know so sometimes when the job you're working on goes your landlord is like i don't want uh, immoral people in my house uh, your circle of friends suddenly uh, and this is not only for atheism, uh, but also for free thinkers yes, and skeptical. Yes. Yeah, because it's they are considered the same devilish people. Yeah. So a lot of people would rather stick on social media. Some of them behind false names as well. Mm. Some of them are some behind false names, and they do their thing there. But when they come out in public, you find them 
pray in front of meals like everybody else, going to church every Sunday. Yeah, we had an, uh, one, meet, one meeting, uh, I met uh, a girl that uh, said that she, her her mother allowed her to go to, to the meeting for the atheists uh, on Saturday if she went to church on Sunday. And she agreed. Mm. Yeah. So one of the missions, one of the objectives of atheists in Kenya is to normalize atheism. <coughs> That's going to be an uphill task, and it's going to take a lot of time. But we want it to be a normal thing for somebody to just say, I'm an atheist. It should not bring about all the... It doesn't have to be the most common thing, but it, yeah, should, it, be okay. it should be okay. It should be okay. Yeah. It should not create from... It should not create a lot of uh, like families turning against you or you trying to explain further what what exactly you mean for the Satanist. So uh, that being one of our key objectives, one of the reasons why I am a public atheist is to uh, sort of encourage other atheists who see me on TV and talking about atheism to actually see that they, even then they, they, they should be able to talk about it. Yeah, to be a role model. To be, yeah, I think uh, my my appearances and uh, and my, some of my, my, some of our articles that we've done for the media, we, we want to create an environment where it's, it's not something that is looked at in a, in a way that is likely to, we want it is to be comfortable in this country. I've argued before that we when the, the media, when the when the religious groups say that we are not supposed to be registered, my argument was that we, we even if you don't register us, we still are part of the Kenyan society as atheists. You cannot force me to believe in your God. Yes. So really there's nothing that they're changing. But the recognition is very significant for us. Um, we and, and I think there was a debate we had some time back when before we got registered. When we were denied our registration, some members were saying, Why don't we change it to humanist mm. society or something more more friendly to the registrar? And I said no. I, I said that we are moving on with this, we're going to appeal and we're going to move to court. Because I don't want it to be uh, wrong to be, to, tell you, to say that you are an atheist yep. in this country. Yeah, so I don't know, that, that was that was important. Okay, so I think we need to wrap this up, but I think my last question will be: uh, so if we look back to uh, the discussion that we've had, have we painted? the real picture of Kenya here or have we just been complaining here or I mean did we did we do some balanced thing because I I I I really want the the Swedish audience to not get this traditional uh, picture of uh, oh poor African people you know the traditional way of, of seeing it and I really hope that we haven't haven't given them that picture, but tried to 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 uh, give a picture of uh, both uh, the uh, the strengths and the uh, uh, problems that that are in the country. Is there anything you want to add that might 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 give some other colors to the picture? 
we have people who are starving and we have people who have so much plenty they are literally throwing away stuff. Uh, not that it's good, but I mean, that is the Africa we have. Even what we, what other countries consider poor, for some of us we consider it rich. They talk about people staying on uh, less than a dollar a day, but the person who is living on less than a dollar a day mm-hmm. owns land which has food, it has animals, it has livestock. He can literally live on his land. That dollar a day is literally savings. He doesn't need it. Yeah. put it in the bank and let it grow interest without. So yes, we are a contrast, but yes, we do also have other problems. And sometimes some of these other problems, especially our po- the problems we have with poverty, distribution of wealth, with resource management, with corruption, uh, can only be solved when we add the question of human rights in it. We have situations where Leaders are caught with their hands in the till, so to say, and instead of us realizing that this is behavior we need to condemn, we just look at what tribe do you come from. So if you're from that tribe, we need, we, your members of your tribe, we need to support you so that you're not vilified by people from other tribes. And yet we don't realize that this fella is looting our resources, the resources that belong to Kenyans as a whole that could be used to improve the life of Kenyans. But because we don't want to think beyond our tribal cocoons, we let them literally get away with theft. We condemn people who would improve our lives for us. Recently there was a vaccine, uh, polio vaccine initiative by the government, and there were areas where these people were being thrown out because they had been told by the church that these vaccines contain steroids that are going to sterilize their women so they don't give back. Mm-hmm. So as these vaccines are going to the areas where they are being thrown out because of beliefs that they have been given which nobody bothers to verify. A lot of the problems we have can be solved with change of attitude, a change of the way we look at things, a change of the way we do things. And that will only happen if people learn how to think, learn how to appreciate other viewpoints, other cultures, other belief systems, and start realizing that not everything comes from one authority and the speak of that authority. We can question that. When we find him with his hands in the teeth, we're not going to say, you are our tribesman, you are tribesman, they like support you. We're going to ask him, what is your hand doing in that teeth? What can- where, where, why don't you have medicines here and your hand is in the till? Where are uh, roads in a problem? Why are you building mushrooms when the money is supposed to go to the hospital? We don't ask those questions because we believe the leader speaks. Yeah. Quiet. And I think that uh, uh, if I'm allowed to end this now, I think uh, you had uh, a member that we uh, uh, talked with. Uh, yesterday, and I think she wrapped it up very well. And I think we'll we'll end with her words here, uh, because she said, uh, "I'd like people to eat, but I also want to teach them how to think." And I think that is uh, uh, very uh, uh, that very well uh, constitutes what what we want. We we have. 
issues uh, with uh, human rights and uh, um, very fundamental basic uh, things that we need to give people, but we still need to work on, on uh, the issue of letting people uh, think what uh, uh, what they want, believing that what they want, uh, uh, and also uh, to uh, think more. Is that okay? We finalize there. That's okay. That's fine. That's beautiful. Okay. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.